0: Open your Bibles and open your study guide. And if you look in your bulletin, you see the outline there. Tonight uh, is the last night of our whole Bible study for uh, November and December. We'll take a break for the holidays and we'll pick up in the middle of January. Uh, we try to put that uh, insert in there. Even if you're not part of a group, you can still take that home and, and do that study with your family or, or by yourself to go a little bit deeper with the study. Also, each week I try to create uh, an outline Uh, Don't have to fill that out. Uh, Even if you do nothing with it, sometimes it helps us to listen better. We retain more. I know I do if I write things down. And so uh, that's the reason that we do that. Uh, We know that you don't have to fill out a sermon outline to go to heaven. Um, But I did hear that if you get to heaven on Judgment Day and they find out that you were one of those that took notes on the sermon, you get to go to the front of the line. And you get a fast pass, and you get to ride all the coolest rides for all of eternity for filling out that sermon outline. Didn't you know that? Actually, it's not in the Bible, but people do say a lot of things that make you think it's in the Bible, but they're not. And it's so easy to believe when they say that. Maybe you heard about the guy who was pulled over for speeding. The officer, of course, asking officer asked for his driver's license. The man said, I don't have one. It was revoked for reckless driving. So the officer said, well, do you have your vehicle registration? And um, he said, well, this is not my car. I stole it. He said, what do you mean you stole he said, wait a minute. I think it was in the glove box, the vehicle registration. I put my gun in there. You've got a gun in the glove box? And he said, well, yeah. How else was I going to rob the bank? The money's in the trunk. Well, the officer had already radioed for backup, and he said, well, you just wait right here for a moment. Backup came, and they frisked him, and sure enough, they found that he had a driver's license, and it wasn't revoked. They looked in the glove box, and they found his vehicle registration, had insurance, everything's up to date, and there was no gun. And then they looked in the trunk, and there's no money. All there was was a spare tire. And so the police sergeant went back to the guy, and he said, wait a minute. My officer told me that that you didn't have a license, and that you stole the car, and that you had a gun, and you had robbed a bank, and you had the money in the trunk, and the guy said, yeah. And I bet said I was speeding, too. Okay, you've heard that one before. Look at your outline, and I'll put it on the screen as well. I want you to see this quote by Mark Twain. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. It ain't what you know that gets you, what gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. There's a lot of truth in that statement. Has anybody heard talk this week of fake news reports? Yeah. I mean, it's all the talk. What is true? And when I saw that quote this week, I thought, that is a quote for today. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And that's especially true, I think, when it comes to the Bible, because we know for sure many sayings or notions, we've heard all of our lives, we've repeated them, that they're in the Bible, and yet they're not. Or are they in the Bible? What's the book, chapter, and verse? Where do you find in the Bible the following phrases? God helps those who help themselves. Is that in the Bible? It is. First Americans, 1776. Or what about this one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Is that in the Bible? It's not. We all know popular sayings. We've cliches that maybe fit well in a bumper sticker. Maybe you've seen them on Pinterest or maybe a refrigerator magnet. And they're given the weight of Scripture, but they're not really in the Bible. They're not Scripture. Scripture. In fact, some of them are not just not in the Bible. Some of them are unbiblical. And that's where it can become a little dangerous. In 1999, there was a massive earthquake in the country of Turkey. One prominent village was completely decimated. One of the stories that came out of that horrible situation was that 30 years before the Turkish government had warned the leaders that their town was built, was situated right on a major fault line. And that they needed to relocate the town. As bad as that would be, all their science showed that that was a major fault line. Well, the city leaders didn't want to hear that. And so they met rather confidentially in their own assembly. And they decided to redraw the geological map. And they moved all the fault lines over just a bit so that the city was no longer on a fault line. So that all was well and good. Like some wishful thinking, it was all well and good for a while. People had peace. People prospered. The city did well. Real estate value went up. But all of that stopped when the earthquake hit. Truth will always reveal where the lines need to be drawn. You can believe something to be true. But then when you discover it's not true, it can be devastating. I want you to get this. Sounds true. Sounds true will not set you free. Remember, Jesus said in John 8:32, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Remember our series of lessons about how Christ set us free? Free from bondage, free from bitterness, free from greed, free from people pleasing, free from fear free from shame, free from the whole sin problem. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. But sounds true will not set you free. Sincerity does not guarantee liberty. You can believe your way into bondage. You can believe your way into disaster. And too many have done that by, in their own world, redrawing the fault lines so that they're no longer a problem. Now, nothing's changed other than what they believe to be true. Let me share a few examples of how we do this. Some statements we make. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. That must be true, right? Because I saw it on a mug in a Christian bookstore. Where's the book, chapter, and verse for that? Or what about this one? God will never give you more than you can handle. That must be true. I've heard that all my life. But where does the Bible say that? Or what about this one? Everything happens for a reason. Is that in the Bible? It must be true because I saw it on Facebook. And it's got to be true before they put it on the internet, right? The danger of these little sayings is that when they don't work, when they don't prove to be true, the result is... You can easily become angry at God for not keeping a promise that He never made. You believe something to be true that's not true. And what you know that just ain't so will not help you to go free. Well, what about this phrase I want to look at today, follow your heart? What about that phrase? Surely that's in the Bible because we hear it all the time. We repeat it all the time. Think about how many movies where there's that scene, and that's the message that's communicated. How much music where that's communicated. And if not those exact words, it's the same sentiment or phrase, but we might say it differently. There's just times where you got to go with your gut. You know what we're saying? Follow your heart. Go with your gut. Or let your conscience be your guide. Or just do what your heart is telling you. Folks, none of that is in the Bible. We hear it all the time. We repeat those words, we give that kind of counsel to people, but it's not in Scripture. One author said this, "Follow your heart" is found in Song of Disney, chapter 2016. What the Bible says is actually just the opposite. You're familiar with Proverbs three, vi- 3 verse five. "Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. We are not to trust our hearts. We are not to follow our our, our hearts. We are to trust God and follow Him. See, following your heart sounds like good advice until you stop and think about what you're saying. Stop and think about what that means because the reality is we all have heart trouble. All of us have heart issues. Everyone needs to understand that your heart is not a trustworthy moral compass. Do you know that? that your heart is not a trustworthy moral compass behind that that phrase no matter how we word it behind saying follow your heart lies the assumption that it will always take you to the right place if you have the courage to follow through so what you need to do is just make it happen and follow your heart but the mistaken assumption behind that is that deep within us in our heart is the right decision is the right choice that we know what is right that we all that our heart always knows what is right we underestimate our capacity to overestimate ourselves let me say that again we underestimate our capacity to overestimate ourselves now there's nothing wrong with thinking you're smart There's nothing wrong with a healthy self-esteem, a good self-image. In fact, that can be really good. It's good to believe in yourself. But we tend to overestimate ourselves. Those limits were pushed a couple of years ago. There was a dating site called OkCupid. Raise your hand if you've ever been on there. No, don't raise your hand if you've ever been on there. OkCupid is a website. and, And... they did this, you know, they ask the questions and you answer them to kind of find out how compatible you are with your would-be, you know, that next connection. And one of the questions they ask is this, are you a genius? Are you a genius? Now, according to their uh, OKCupid's blogger, Christian Rudder, said two in five people and nearly half of men said yes. Isn't that something that means, how, some of you women are going, mm-hmm. No, no. Two in five people on average, half of the men said yes. Rather said that's two out of five think they are one in a thousand. But where did you get the one in a thousand? How do we know a genius is one in a thousand? See, all those numbers are kind of arbitrary, you know, just how do you, how do you determine that? But even if you go to some of the most high IQ societies like, like Mensa, usually there, to be a part of that group, you have to be in the, uh, the 98th or 99th percentile meaning one in a hundred. So there's something seriously wrong when 50% of the men alive think they are a genius. I know you're, you're, you're giggling at that because you know how absurd that is. But again, I make the point we underestimate our capacity to overestimate ourselves. The Bible is much more pessimistic about our hearts. Look at Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Why should we think the heart should be our moral compass when this is how the Bible describes it? In fact, the New Living Translation renders that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? In the Bible, think about it from beginning to end, we'll use the phrase hard-heartedness to talk about our conditions of our heart. Usually when you see the Bible talking about your heart, it's the problem, not the solution. In talking about the sinfulness of humanity, Paul used this same word image. Romans 1 verse 24, look what he says, Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Sometimes we read verses like that and our minds kind of get stuck or hang on that word sexual impurity like that's the problem. That's the problem. That's not the problem. That's the consequence. The problem is the sinful desire. That's the acting out on it. The problem is the heart problem. Your heart's desire is to do the very opposite of God. It's what you want. It's what's selfish. It's what feels good. And a lot of pain has been inflicted by people who just follow their hearts, their families, their spouse, their children, their parents, just by following their hearts. And they end up often in all kinds of bondage, sometimes literally in prison because they were following their heart. Look how Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 19 For out of the heart, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. See, all these things come out of the heart. So let's get personal. Let me ask you a question. Think about this. Can you think of a time when you wished you had not followed your heart? Can you think of a time when you wished you had not followed your heart? Or maybe flip that, or a time when you didn't follow your heart, And now you're so grateful that you didn't. You didn't take that job. You you didn't make that investment. You didn't pursue that that relationship or or marry that person. And you look back now and you think, I am so glad that I didn't follow my heart. Because our hearts are too easily deceived. And sometimes we can go through life and find ourselves at total peace in a situation where we're going the wrong direction from God, but we're at peace with it. And we're following our heart. The Apostle Paul admitted this is what happened to him. One of the things I think we love about Paul is that he just, he's an open book. You know, the scripture tells us all about his problems. He admitted he grew up devoted to God, following him with all of his heart. But there came a time when that was wrong. Do you remember he talked about that to the crowd in Acts 22, verses 2 through 4? Paul talking about his background. I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. And then talking about Christians, he goes, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. And he goes on in chapter 20 to talk about his being there at the stoning of Stephen, giving consent. And then he shared his conversion story. On the road to Damascus, and that now he's following Jesus. Well, they didn't know what to do with him, so they sent him to the Sanhedrin. Now what do we do with this? In chapter 23 opens like this, Paul, talking to the Sanhedrin, he looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, "My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day." Paul thought he was right. Even when he's putting to death Christians, he thought... He was right. He was following his heart, even though he was totally wrong. And just like Paul, sometimes we can convince our hearts that something is right. Maybe it's because everybody else is thinking it's right. Maybe it's because we want it to be right. Maybe because it feels so right. If we just keep doing it long enough, our heart becomes okay with it. The heart can be an effective yellow light but it's not a trustworthy green light. In other words, it can have a voice, but it shouldn't have the final word. The heart's not always discerning. It needs to be discipled. Maybe you don't think about that, but here's the next point I want you to get. Your heart does not need to be followed. It needs to be led. Think about that. Your heart doesn't need to be followed. It needs to be led. You can train your heart to go where it does not want to go. And we've all experienced this. There's things we love now that maybe years ago or months ago or at one time we didn't care for at all or maybe didn't like. Maybe the best example I can think of that is, as a parent, sometimes you do things for your children that you don't care for. Say, maybe you're not into sports or maybe a particular sport, but your child is. Or maybe your child is into scouting and that's not really been your thing. Or, or maybe they're into music and so they joined the band and the next thing you know, you are the coach for years you're the den mother and they're all meeting in your house and you're going on that camp out or you're president of the band boosters and you can't even spell music and you love it (laughs) has it ever happened to you? in fact sometimes we grieve when our children maybe age out of that sport or, or they say hey I don't want to do that anymore you're like but what about me? You know, as a parent, you're kind of loving it because your heart wasn't there, but you did it and you grow to love it. The heart can be led. We know this to be true. You can train your heart. And Jesus understood this to be true. Why are we giving money? Why do we have stuff? He would answer that, you know. Is it for yourself, for your closet, so moths can get in? For your garage, so rust can become a problem? To build bigger barns is to invest in people, in eternal things. We know that. So how do you handle your money? How do you spend? How do you save? When do you give and how much do you give? All of that is a reflection of the heart. It's very telling. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 34, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He did not say, put your money where your heart is. He's explaining that your heart goes wherever you put your money. So you want to have more passion for God and for things of God, then you invest your time and your energy and your money into things of God, and your heart will follow. Our hearts are not designed to be gods in which we believe. Gods whom we bow down to or gods that we follow. Our hearts are designed to believe in God. Jesus also said in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled, but follow your heart. No, he doesn't say that, does he? Do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. Look at these next couple of verses and see that our hearts need help. David, in his prayer to God in Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then Psalm 119, verse 11. A little bit of the answer of how how that can happen. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. See, when you go to Scripture, when it talks about the heart, there is never a situation where it infers you follow your heart. Instead, it's the idea of create a clean heart. Train the heart. Teach the heart. Guard the heart. Do not follow your heart as a way to obey God. You decide to obey God and your heart will follow. In the movie 42, about Jackie Robinson, do you remember Jackie Robinson was the first African American to play in the major leagues? Harrison Ford is the lead there. He's uh, Ricky who wants to take that big step and he knows what that means to bring someone of color Never been done before it wouldn't be easy to be a major opposition so he goes to recruit jackie robinson to make that step together and they both anticipate this is a major challenge not just for baseball but just for people so how do you do that how do you respond how do you proceed with that so jackie struggles against his nature to deal with abuse he finds an ally in ricky so their first meeting in the movie Robinson asked Ricky, so you want a player that doesn't have the guts to fight back? And Ricky replied, no, no, I want a player who has the guts not to fight back. People aren't going to like this, he continues. They're going to do anything to get you to react. Follow a curse with a curse and they'll only hear yours. Follow a blow with a blow and they'll say the Negro lost his temper and that Negro does not belong. Your enemy would be out in force and you cannot meet him on his low ground. We win with hitting and running and fielding. Only that. We win only if the world is convinced of two things. That you're a fine gentleman and a great ball player. And then he says, like our Savior, you've got to have the guts to turn the other cheek. Can you do it? And Robinson replies, you give me a uniform and the number on my back and I'll give you the guts see whether you realize it or not you are discipling your heart I don't know if you realize that that's your role to teach your heart to train your heart to disciple your heart at West 7th we're, we're striving to be completely committed followers of Jesus discipling equipping serving loving and discipling It starts with our own hearts. Teach your heart what's right. Teach your heart what the Bible says. Teach your heart what it means to follow Jesus. So how are you leading your heart? Well, here's the last point I want you to get. The heart does not tell us what is right. Jesus does. So that's why you don't follow your heart. Now, right now, maybe some of you are thinking about an area of your life where Jesus has called you to make a change but your heart will stall because there's a battle going on but follow your heart is not in the Bible the Bible will teach you to follow Jesus with all your heart that's what we are to do so don't wait on your heart you lead your heart and Jesus knows how hard it is to go against your heart because he will challenge you to forgive that person And you don't feel like it. You don't want to. You need to confess a problem. Ask for help. But your heart is full of pride. And it'll say no. The Bible will teach you to love that person. But your heart can't help but see they are so unlovable. And even don't deserve it. Ask Jesus. Help you train your heart. To disciple your heart. Because our hearts are fickle. Sometimes they're hot, sometimes they're cold. Sometimes they have the right answer, sometimes it's the totally wrong answer. That's why you can't trust it. I wrote the phrase as I was putting this together, prone to wonder. And it made me think of a song. It's like an oldie but goodie. Sometimes I'll share the lyrics of a song, maybe it's a new one, that's just out. But I want to share the words of a song that's been around a long time, an oldie but goodie. Come thou fount of every blessing. Probably familiar with the tune. Least it because of the word Ebenezer. Remember that's the, the, every time you sing it, like, what is that again? Oh, that's the stone of help. That's what that is. And then you're going to forget the next time you're singing. You're going, what is that again? Well, this is that, that song. But there's another word in one chorus that I'm going to read to you. I want you to see it on the screen. Fetter. What's a fetter? A fetter is like a chain or a shackle. Look at these words by Robert Robinson. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter, like a chain, bind my wandering heart to thee. Folks, this is not some antiquated song. This is good theology. This is Scripture. Our hearts are prone to wonder. When you say, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, that's what he's saying in this song, and that's what we sing. Look at how he continues. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. I know myself. I can be that way. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. I can't trust it. God, I'm going to give it to you. Seal it for thy courts above. This is our invitation song. And I want you to think about your heart. And maybe for you, this song can be a prayer just to to reaffirm your faith in God and not your faith in your heart. And so when we get to this line, it can be your prayer to God. Or if today you're ready to confess that Jesus is Lord and have your sins washed away in baptism, we always have the water ready. Once you come as we stand and sing to encourage.